Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks for listening in on another episode. Or if this is your first time stopping by, I'm grateful to have you. This podcast is all about the getting started moments, the turning points that got each guest started on a new path toward happiness, the ups and downs of the journey, how they were able to commit to a change, and all the lessons learned along the way. I hope you all enjoyed this particular episode, so let's jump right in and get it started. On this week's episode, please welcome in Jessica Norwood, who is the founder and owner of Naughty Girl Publishing, LLC, and author of the Your Hero's Magic line of children's books. And funny story, Jessica and I, we used to work at the same company together. We never crossed paths, and uh, it was great to finally catch up with her. We live in the same area, and obviously both being children's book authors, it was really neat to get her on here, learn more about her journey, and how she was able to actually publish her first book, and now recently her second Um, and move forward in the right direction with her Naughty Girl Publishing um, LLC business. So we get into a lot of different things in this episode. I hope you all enjoy the conversation. Without further ado, please welcome in Jessica Norwood. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. I'm excited because, you know, so anyone can look on LinkedIn and see that we overlapped at the same company for a little while. And we never actually met there, which is, you know, just how funny how uh, being at a, a larger size company works sometimes. But um, I was I- impressed just with the stuff you've been doing, especially, and we'll get into this, the children's book stuff. Um, but I want to actually start in a unique position. And I'm going to give you, this is going to be a dealer's choice to start. I don't always start this way, but I'm going to do this for you. Okay. Okay. Because one of the big things, at least doing some research and and fact check me on this is, is the word identity came up in two instances. One is around, and the reason I'm bringing this up is it's such a major topic on the podcast. We talk about a lot of folks. So here's my question. You can start either from your time growing up in Germany Because it seems like there was an identity there that you were building or known as or what have you that you had to get comfortable with, or the identity going from education and leaving that world to transition out of the education realm. I'm going to let you choose where you want to start talking about identity, because I think that's a big part of your story if I'm reading between the lines. Yes, I will choose option two. Okay. Transitioning out of education into my new life. Okay. That's, that's a big shift. Yes, it is. Big yeah. Identity and career change. And that, that's one of the things I went through that leaving the golf industry to going to sales. And, and obviously, again, your path a little bit different, but it's just, we get known as these certain things, these labels get put on us and changing that, not just for ourselves, but also with the people that we surround ourselves with is always an interesting story. So anyways, yeah, let's start there. Can you share a little bit about that background of going from education and then transitioning out of that and just the impact that had on you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start by saying that I did not go to school for education. So I, my undergrad was in German and in psychology. And, you know, a few months before graduation, my parents were like, so what are you going to do with your life? I was like, I I can't answer that question. I don't know. Um, And so at that stage, my parents were like, well, you're going to have to support yourself. So you have a couple of months to figure it out. So I ended up enrolling in a program in South Carolina that allows you to get your teacher certification if you don't have an undergraduate degree in education. And so I ended up doing that. I took all of the tests that were required, put myself in the database in South Carolina that says, hey, I'm now 
essentially certified and qualified going through this program, I'm available for hire. So I think it was four days after graduation, the principal that I ended up working for for four years at a brand new middle school called and said, hey, saw your information. We're actually looking for a German teacher. What do you think? Do you want to come interview? And so, of course, at that point, I was like, yeah, I need something to do. So went in for my interview. Um, they essentially hired me on the spot. And that was the next four years of my life teaching middle school. The commute was really long for me. I was on one side of town. The school was on a, on a different side of town. So it was about an hour commute each way. And after year four, the principal actually left and I, I really adored him. And so I just thought it was a time where maybe the stars are aligning and it's time for a change. So I ended up teaching high school for another three years closer to my side of town. Um, and then after that point, again, needed to make a, make a decision, met my now husband, and I, I knew that I was going to move. Um, so picked up, sold my house, moved to North Carolina, and, you know, had another kind of turning point where I had to say, well, what am I going to do with my life now? And so that identity crisis definitely happens. And I think it happens a lot for educators because, everything that you do revolves around the classroom and your students. That is your life. It is, it is who you are. It's, it's definitely your identity. And I think a lot of people have a hard time switching out of that because it's just what they've known for so long. But I'm a complete believer in the fact that if you are a teacher, I don't care what grade level of it, it is. If you are a teacher, you can do anything. And I think teachers really translate well into the sales world because you're personable, you're not afraid of, you know, talking to people, you're organized, you are a planner. I mean, there's so many transferable skills that you have in education, if you're a teacher, that translate into so many other fields. So I ended up in the investment management space, um, helping private equities and hedge funds doing their due diligence. Um, that offered me the opportunity to move to Poland for a few months, mm. opened up an office there for an international expansion project. So that was a really great time in my life. Um, and then after that, I transitioned directly into sales and really loved it, uh, really loved the flexibility uh, coming from education. You know, it doesn't matter if you're the best teacher in the building or the worst teacher in the building. However many years of experience you have and the degrees that you have, that's your paycheck, right? Like there's a there's a pay scale, there's a chart. You find your your education and your uh, your years of experience, and that's your chart. Uh, that's how much you get paid. And I didn't love that because I was always the teacher that was you know first in, last out, working through lunch, going to all of the students' athletic activities, all of their theater, all of their band, orchestra, chorus activities, right? So I was putting in so many hours. And aside from, you know, the love of my students, my paycheck doesn't show that, right? Whereas in sales, you come in early, you stay late, you work through lunch, your paycheck is going to reflect that at some point. Um, so I really fell in love with sales pretty quickly because of that. There was just so many things that translated well from my past skill set into, hey, I can make really great money and I can really determine what my W-2 looks like in the end. So it was, was exciting. Was the uh, the trigger moving to North Carolina or was that something had you already planned to leave teaching before you did that? Like, cause I know, I, I think some folks, if you're in a certain area and you're not leaving, it's like, well, I mean, I'm working here, I guess, even though I don't love it, I'll keep doing what, you know what I'm saying? Like, so did that mm -hmm. help you at least, or was there something so, else do you think that triggered it? 
I think what triggered it, honestly, is that North Carolina actually paid their teachers worse than South Carolina. And even though I, I translate or transferred all of my licenses, they weren't going to give me credit for my two master's degrees. They were only going to give me credit for one. I don't know why, still don't know why to this day, but basically I could have made more money and had better health insurance working at Starbucks than teaching full-time in North Carolina. And so that was really the turning point where I said, okay, do I stay in education and just push through knowing that after year 10, you're very unlikely to leave, right? Most people are like, okay, before year 10, this is when I'm making the change or, okay, I'm in it now. This is, this is it. And so with the, the lack of pay, I just thought, okay, this is another sign from the universe and I'm going to listen to the universe. My stars are going to align in some other way and I need to make a shift. Mm. Yeah. The, the whole, we won't derail this conversation, but literally the whole <laughs> conversation Ron. just cause I, you know, I have a young son it's in fourth, he's in fourth grade. And I see this more and more. And I read more about the teacher pay. And I'm just like, like seeing that the teachers have to have two or three jobs or like they're asking for donations on like school supplies. And I'm like, I'm scratching my head because I'm like, as a, I thought I paid taxes to help pay for the schools. Where does that money go? Yeah. If you find out, let me know, but yeah. it definitely does not go in the teacher's pockets. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Which is ironic because it's like, well, they're the ones that are in front of my child each and every day for many, many hours. I would probably want there to be a level, a low level degree of certainty uh, that, you know, and they're a little more motivation there, I guess as well. Um, yeah. So that's a whole nother conversation. It really um, is. It really is. <laughs> so let, let's go though. So that's good. I appreciate you sharing that a little bit. And, and I, and I know that probably helps kind of tell the story of where you're at today, but can we go back to growing up a little bit, if that's okay? Because I'm, you know, one, one of the things I read was that, you know, you kind of felt like you were out there, you were, you were different than where you grew up than everyone else around you. And I'm, I'm curious how that influenced you, especially into writing now and sharing the stories that you're staring, because maybe again, to have people think differently or to, or to show a different side of things. So anything you'd share from maybe growing up and how that influenced what you're doing today? Absolutely. So grew up, was born and raised in Germany. My mom's German. My dad's from Florida. And I, you know, I was the mixed kid. So all of my friends were blue-eyed, blonde hair. Uh, and then here was me with, you know, my darker toned olive skin and big dark hair. Um, so all I wanted was straight hair. You know, that's, I mean, that's what everybody had. I didn't want to stand out. I mean, I think we all know children want to blend in. We as adults know that, you know, don't blend in, stand out, do your own thing, be your own person. But as a child, you don't want to stand out. You want to be part of the crowd yeah. and you want to blend in. And and I didn't. Um, and so now that I'm a mother of two, I just wanted to create something that would hopefully help my children feel beautiful and feel seen in their authentic self, right? Like I don't, I didn't want, especially my daughter to have the feelings that I had growing up about appearance and hair and feeling like you had to change how your hair naturally grows out of your head uh, to fit in or to feel like you're a professional or to, you know, feel more put together. I mean, even in job interviews, um, just, I mean, a, a year ago, two years ago was the first time that I ever wore my hair like this curly 
in an interview, I would always straighten my hair uh, just because it made me feel more polished, more put together. But now, you know, growing up and being older and wiser, I realize that that is just something that society has put into, you know, into the world to say, hey, straight hair is more professional. It is more polished. You will feel more put together. I don't believe that anymore, but it's taken me a long time to get to that point. And so I didn't want my children to, to feel that. I also want to lead by example whenever I can. So me telling my daughter, oh, your, your curls are amazing and they're beautiful and you should wear them like that. But then me waking up 30 minutes early yeah. every day to straighten my hair, what message am I sending, right? Yeah. So now I'm just much more cognizant of what I say, how I present myself, what I put value on, because I know that my children are watching every second of the day. What uh, what changed that for you? Because that's a big kind of self-awareness epiphany there um, <laughs> a few years ago. Is there anything that that you could kind of point on that was the, uh, the, the moment that said, wow, wait a minute, I'm thinking differently about this? You know, I think it's becoming a, a mother, right? I think you think about who you want to be as a parent and how you want to show up for your children in the world and what you want them to value. And obviously we want to value, you know, diversity and creativity and hard work and perseverance and being brave and, and all of those things and less of, well, do you look pretty today? Right. Is your hair perfectly done? I think too, this environment of work from home, live at work, right. And, and this pandemic life has changed that because for a long time, my children, we took them out of daycare for safety. You know, we we didn't know what was going on, how bad this was going to get. And so we we just wanted to shield our kids and we kept them home from school for months. So we were, my husband and I were working, raising our children all in the same roof every second of the day, you know, not going to the grocery store, having groceries delivered, just trying to stay as safe as possible. And I think that, right, showing my, especially my daughter, she's the oldest hey, mommy can be in sweatpants and still add value in a meeting, right? Mommy's hair doesn't have to be perfect for her to contribute to her team or to have great ideas. And I know that, I mean, that's probably a lot for, at that time, a three-year-old, right? But I think her seeing me, you know, on Zoom calls and in meetings, but my hair not being perfect or me not having a, a face full of makeup on or maybe not wearing jewelry or not wearing a, you know, a dress like I normally would if I was leaving the house. I think all of those things they do pay attention to and they realize, okay, mommy's still going to her meetings. She's still having conversations. You know, they might not know that I'm adding value to my team every day, but I wanted to make sure that both of my children, especially my daughter, know that you know, you can be who you are. You don't have to look perfect every second of the day and you can still contribute and add value and have something important to say. So I think just having children being in this live at home pandemic life and, you know, really realizing that everything you do, they're watching. um, I think that that was probably the turning point. Mm. Yeah, one of the things I'll add too, because I, I agree with both of those, is um, I, I, something for me when I got into sales, um, I was extremely like, and, and obviously we've only met briefly here, but like most people say, Brian, you know, you're very personable, you're outgoing, even though I'm an introvert, like, you know, you, you joke around, but you know, you're professional when you need to be, those type of things. And you're very curious. But when I got into sales, I was very monotone. I was very like thinking what the world of sales that you think you have to be. 
And after I finally got a, a good couple of butt kickings by some colleagues of like, Brian, just be yourself type thing. The last like, especially six or seven years, it's been eye opening where like, I can talk to a, a client while I'm picking up my son in carpool because they, because I'm like, this is real life, dude. Like, this is how mm-hmm. it is. And, uh, and they really, they recognize that and they actually accept that a little bit more. So I think going back to, we hear the word a lot is authenticity now, but really just kind of being who you are and being comfortable with it is actually more expressive, I think, of just how we should be living anyways, or, or maybe of, of your true self versus putting on this facade that I think many of us for years have put on. We're like, this is my home life. And then when I show up to work, I have to do something totally different, you know? Right. I don't know if you think about that at all or not, but it, that came to mind as you were talking is like sales for some reason has opened that up to me. I'm like, I'm just like who I am in this podcast is exactly when I'm working with a, a client in from a sales realm is exactly who I am when I'm at the park with my son, like just mm-hmm. being me. It's been hard to get to that point, but it's amazing what happens when you actually do it, you know? Yeah. No, I love that. And I think it makes, it takes the pressure off, right? Like if there's kids in the background, or like you said, you're in the carpool line, I think just saying, hey, if you hear my kids in the background, you know, I I have to pick up my kids, it's after school, or, you know, there was a a shift in our schedule, and my husband usually does this, It, it brings that human element in that I think people really appreciate. And I think it disarms them a little bit because mm-hmm. then they know, Hey, she's sharing a part of, of her life and I, I can share something of mine. And I think it just opens us up and brings back that human connection that especially in this, you know, the last two years, I think we've been desperately missing, right. Even though everything's on video and I can see you and I know yeah. you're wearing a blue shirt, yeah. you know, there's still something about meeting somebody in person, seeing somebody at a trade show, you know, at a conference and having that conversation, shaking someone's hand, walking out of the restaurant together after a client meeting. Um, So I think pulling yourself in and and just being fully you, I think it really does bring that human element back that is needed. And at the end of the day, people buy from people, right? If they like you as a person, if you can build that trust and they know, hey, this is a family man and he prioritizes child pickup or, hey, he's at the park with his kid because the classroom shut down because of COVID. I think it just... I think it's really valuable to see people for who they are and to bring in that, that home life. Whereas mm-hmm. before we've really kept it separate. Now everybody knows who has kids, whose wife's working from, from home across right. from them, you know, like we're all in it together. And that kind of brings that sense of community in. Yeah. Well, so speaking about kind of this, the, the self-awareness piece and, and kind of how you've grown up. When the idea of the book writing coming like when did that, Has that idea been there for a long time or was that recent? Definitely recent. And I've had people say like, have you always wanted to be an author? The answer is no. I never, I never grew up saying I wanted to be an author. I was going to write children's books, but it, again, it came across, we were in the pandemic living, you know, living, working, doing everything from home. And my daughter's hair started getting really, it was getting longer, thicker, more curly, more kinky, more coarse, all the things. And literally one day during wash day, I was trying to get the knots out. I was like combing through and I said, oh, you are such a naughty girl. And I I meant it K-N-O-T-T-Y, right? Because I was getting all the knots out. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cute, like sassy and play on words. And um, so then when we were all done and she was like in her jammies and we were going downstairs, her hair was like perfectly bouncing and she's got 
Uh, I'm trying to be like her because, you know, I dye my hair, but she's really got like these natural golden tones yeah. to her hair. And so her hair just was beautiful. And I was like, oh, your hair is magic. And so again, I was like, oh, naughty girl, magic. Your hair is magic. It just kind of it was one of those moments and I wrote it down and I told my husband, I was like, I feel like something needs to be done with this. Maybe I should maybe I should write a book or do something to let her know that her hair is so beautiful. And that's really what sparked the idea is me calling her a naughty girl and then saying your hair is magic. And those two things combined. Now my LLC is Naughty Girl Publishing, K-N-O-T-T-Y. Yeah. And then the book series is called Your Hair is Magic. The first book was about bedhead. So what do your curls look like when you wake up in the morning and they're crazy and all over the place. And then the next book that just came out is Wash Day. Yeah. So, well, con one congrats on that. But but I also I want to make sure though because we are the Just Get Started podcast. I don't yeah. want to glaze over the fact that we all have dozens of ideas a day. So it's one thing to have the idea; it's right. another thing to execute on it. Mm -hmm. So, sh can you share with me maybe the days or weeks or maybe it was months following that? Like, ah, maybe I should do something with this to actually doing it. What What did you do? How did you get over the hump of just stalling out? Yeah. So I can't remember the exact day that I decided, okay, this is going to be something, but I do remember telling my dad about the idea of the book on the beach and it was May. And by June, I had my illustrator and we were talking through ideas and, mm. and meeting. I actually remember taking a meeting at the beach uh, with a different illustrator for my logo and for my branding. I really wanted to get my branding right. I didn't want to miss an opportunity for the play on words with Naughty Girl and, you know, not saying that I wanted a viral component, but I wanted something that would be, you know, would catch people's attention. Mm -hmm. And so started talking about it in May, like kind of putting the idea out there with friend, like close friends and family uh, June started working with my illustrator who's illustrated both of the books. And in December of 2020 is when the first book was like physically in my hand, ready to mail out. Um, and I did do a Kickstarter in between because it costs a lot of money to, to get mm -hmm. a book into the world. So between, you know, my website and the illustrator and uh, the the logos and the swag that I had and, uh, you know, the actual printing of the book I printed in the U.S. So it's a little bit more expensive. I decided to go with the Kickstarter route to build a little bit of awareness, build some excitement, reach a broader audience and uh, funded the, the Kickstarter within a matter of days, which was really exciting. I think I ended up exceeding the goal by like 120 or 130 something percent. So did really, really well. Um, had a couple of new spots, which was exciting. Fox 46, WRAL. Um, they they helped promote the book as well. And then in December, I, I mailed out hundreds of books. I That's what I did, you know, in the morning between lunch. And then once the kids went to bed, I uh, was just getting labels together, stuffing envelopes and signing books to send out the next day. So did you, uh, is the illustrator, and just for everyone listening in, uh, Jessica and I live in the same area in the Raleigh-Durham area. <laughs> uh, did you get the, the illustrator locally or how did you find the illustrator? So again, for, my for the book or I guess even the logo, either one. Yeah. So neither one. Uh, so the, the, the person who designed my logo, she's an artist uh, based in Atlanta mm -hmm. and my illustrator is also an artist based in Atlanta. And both of them, I, 
found through my network. So my branding designer, she is the younger sister of one of my dear friend's wives. I'll let you process that. (laughs) And then, (laughs) and uh, my, my illustrator, she is a friend of my younger brothers and I, he was at the beach and I said, Hey, I need somebody who gets the vision really understands, you know, how multifaceted hair really is, especially curly hair, right? It's, it's shorter when it's dry and longer when it's wet, it's darker when it's wet and lighter when it's dry. There's so many things to just consider. And I really wanted to capture the full essence of curls. And so I knew I needed somebody who, you know, had curly hair, um, really understood like the wash day essence, because I knew that that was going to be a book that I wanted to put out. Um, And I really wanted to focus on working with women whenever possible and minority women on top of that. So both my my branding designer and my illustrator are both black women um, for editing and for formatting. I worked with minority women as well. So trying to empower women and give them a seat at the table whenever I can. Mm. Yeah. what was interesting, so and I know folks may listen and know that I, you know, I published two children's books. The, the second one just launched, um, and I went a different route. I'm so I'm curious to learn more because I went the Amazon, the KDP publishing route again, more for two reasons. One is from a cost upfront standpoint, right. um, and the on demand standpoint. You went a different route. So did if I'm if I'm hearing you correct, did you like buy a ton of books up front? like basically from like some sort of publisher and get those delivered. And then you're sending those out when people buy them or how, how, how does the process work for you? Yes. So yes to all of the things. Um, so I bought <laughs> for the first book, I bought a thousand copies. Um, yeah. They were like flooding my dining room and I was, yep. Just like stuffing envelopes every night, trying to get the book out. I also partnered with um, a couple of the local bookstores and some local boutiques in the area, mainly here in Wake Forest. And they have, you know, have them on their shelves now, but then I got an opportunity to be on live with Kelly and Ryan on ABC. And after talking to the producer, I was like, okay, I don't want to run out of books. If this like blows up, what do you think? And she was like, I definitely would order more books. So I ordered another set of a thousand books and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't have all of these in my house. Right. So I ended up sending, um, several hundred to Amazon to be fulfilled by Amazon. So the Amazon warehouses now have, you know, 500 plus books where people can go on and easily order it. And I don't have to run to the post office every 20 minutes. The new book, I ended up only ordering 500 copies because I'm pretty OCD. And again, I just can't have, you know, thousands of books sitting around in my house. I want to get rid of them. I want them sold. So I went with 500 and then I did have my formatter do a print on demand version. So as soon as these books are gone, I'm going to do Ingram spark, not KDP, but same concept. Um, for print on demand and get that off of my to-do list because it is cumbersome, you know, stuffing, stuffing envelopes at the end of every night after we put the kids down and I'm exhausted working full time and then running to the post office in between meetings. Um, it's a lot. So the, the print on demand model is definitely, I think, the way to go for, you know, people who are working full time outside of the home and have a lot of other things to manage. Well, the the rub of it, at least as of now, and and looks like they're trying to change us a little, is your books are hardcover, right? Yes. So that was important to me, especially with the children's books. Like I'm kind of a paper snob. My kids are rough on books. They love them. And so, you know, my son, he just 
smashes the pages and you know he's he's not delicate he's not gentle and so I really wanted like thick pages I really wanted people to be able to you know love on them for a long period of time so to speak and so the hardcover to me was really important but I understand the appeal of the soft cover and the price of the soft cover and you know everything kind of goes a little bit easier I think if you take the hardcover aspect out. Well, the, yeah, because see, I wanted, and I've actually thought about going, um, doing a Kickstarter, even though I launched a couple of weeks back, but doing a Kickstarter or something like that to have like, hey, I'd love to do hardcover and to help kind yeah. of promote that. Because I, yeah, the hardcover definitely is, is out, but you know, Amazon doesn't have that option. They, ha- they right. have rolled out a hardcover option, but you have to have a minimum of 70 pages, I think, to do it. So it's kind of oh, a new concept. Not a normal children's book. <laughs> which is not, yeah, which is not yeah. a normal. Well, you, you know the other thing too, which is I'm actually fascinated by this. Um, this is really off topic, but maybe for folks that want to publish a children's <laughs> book to consider, because I've, I've obviously a lot of folks that have been on this podcast have published books and a lot of them mm-hmm. will go through a publisher where you can, like your, your books you bought, you can send those to Amazon and now you can do a pre-order maybe a yeah. month in advance or two weeks in advance. What's interesting with KDP, because everything about it, I love it because it makes it easy on me as a self-published author. But what's interesting is they don't have a pre-order, which is odd because they're publishing the book. Like I, it seems like it makes sense. Like if they had a hundred orders prior to launch date, that would help them from a logistics standpoint. Right. Because yeah. they print on, the, like literally if you bought today, they're they printing print it. it today or tomorrow and shipping it out. So it's mm-hmm. really, it's really neat. But anyways, that's just an aside, but it's kind of interesting, um, the pre-launch and and what pre-order type process that you go through self-publishing. So yeah, I did do pre-orders. So, you know, the Kickstarter is essentially considered a pre-order because Mm -hmm. they're pledging for, you know, a book in return. So that was fine. And I had, I think, close to 400 orders that I had to fill after the Kickstarter ended. But with this book, I did a pre-order on my website, my personal website, mm-hmm. where people went on and they knew I had, you know, all of the notes in there. Hey, these are, are going to ship by this date. I actually was a, a month ahead of schedule, which nobody's going to be upset about. So that's yeah. always perfect. Um, and then now I've taken the pre-order banner off of the website since I have the books in stock. But definitely, I mean, the hardcovers are are expensive, especially if you print them in the United States. And then you have all the inventory in your house, which takes mm-hmm. up space and there's, yeah, there's definitely something to be said for, for print on demand. I think Ingram Spark does hardcovers. So that might be something to look into for you. Mm, yeah. And I did look into them a little bit. I'll, I'll make a note of that as well. So if folks are, if they're thinking about publishing and let's just stick on children's books, because that's what we're talking about. Is there two or three little breadcrumbs you'd lay down for them on their <laughs> journey um, to not stumble? Anything yeah. you want in the process? Absolutely. Learned a lot. The first book, you know, we made so many mistakes, not that the readers would ever know, but just on the back end, getting it ready for print, we made a lot of mistakes. The second book was much smoother. But if I if I had to drop some nuggets, I would say to set expectations with your illustrator and your formatter and anybody helping you with the book, right? Anybody editing it, formatting it, doing your illustrations, if you're going to have somebody working on a website for you, you know, any, any of those components, know how those people work and how they will communicate with you. So for me, I'm an, I'm a very quick responder mm-hmm. in most cases, especially professionally. If you send me an email, I'm probably going to respond that day, right? 
Whereas uh, my first formatter I worked with and she was very talented, came highly recommended by a traditionally published author slash friend of mine. Um, but her communication style was just very different from mine. It would be a week and a half, two weeks before I would hear back from uh, to as a response to an email. And that that kind of boils my blood, right? Because it's not the way I operate, but we also never laid out the expectations in the beginning. So I couldn't fault her for how she communicates had I said, hey, what can I expect from you? Will I hear from you every couple of days? Will I hear from you within 24 hours of you getting an email from me? What should I expect? If I would have said that, she probably would have said, I will, you will hear from me every two weeks when I finish a milestone. Let's set yeah. the milestones, right? Um, same thing with contracts. If you're going to have a contract laid out, you know, you're paying a certain amount for your formatting, for your editing, for your illustrations, put it in a contract, make sure that everybody's on the same page and avoid any of those missteps in the beginning of, oh, well, I didn't know. And well, I thought this was going to be the way that we were going to do this, right? Anything that you can outline early, outline early and set those expectations. And then one of the biggest mistakes, my, my illustrator, she's an artist, but she's never done children's books before. And she's, I think she's extremely talented, obviously. Um, but this was her first book. So again, we made a lot of mistakes together. Really understand what size you want your book to be, right? right Are you printing yeah. hardcover or, or softcover? What is the spine going to look like? You need to know those margins, right? You need to know your bleed lines, your cut lines, so that your image isn't getting cut off where there's something really important, right? For me, my first book had a lot of large face pictures, well, if we didn't have the bleeder cut lines correct, you know, you could be cutting off that picture in mid eye or mid nose or, mm -hmm. you know, mid nostril, whatever. Mm -hmm. So making sure that you understand where you're going to print, how you're going to print and making sure that those illustrations match, I think is important. And then one of the other big mistakes we made is uh, um, uh, RGB, RBG. Now I always get them confused and CMYK, oh, your, okay. your color, um, your color palette, right? Everything gets printed in CMYK. So make sure that that is what your illustrator is working in. If you're going to have illustrations and they're going to be in color, because otherwise you have to re uh, not format, but I guess reassign the colors to your images and they might not turn out exactly how you want them to once you've converted them. Yeah. Yeah. I think the having <laughs> that experience of like, has illustrated a children's book before is big because there's a, there's a lot of things. I mean, I just personally, and I have a background a little bit in, in Photoshop and, and illustrator mm -hmm. and stuff. So luck, which is luckily for me, I was able to do some things, but just even knowing how to like embed like the fonts and making sure, because those things are important on PDFs that you're uploading and, yes. and the whole nine. The other thing too, actually, you may reminded me, I ran into this in my first book and we luckily caught it early in my second one. I used the same illustrator was like where the actual text placement is. So you talked about the pictures with the bleeds, but like if you're just doing great illustrations, like, Oh, these are awesome. Well, it's like, where's the text going to go? So you actually right. kind of have to have that laid out a little bit. So you know where to illustrate around that and it's not mm -hmm. getting in the way of, of potential good stuff. Yeah. Well, and see, I avoided that completely by doing text on one page, image on the other. Oh, I see. Okay. For that exact reason. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. That, yeah. that inlay is, I mean, it's also, it's very critical. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the, uh, so you just launched, when did the new one launch? Just recently, right? Uh, literally, I got them last week. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So you're sending them out. It's like officially people can buy them and 
Yes, people can buy them. People have been getting them in the mail. Um, again, I'm, I'm pretty type A. So as soon as the uh, the books showed up at my doorstep, I was ready to go. I, I went ahead and printed my labels. I did get a label printer for the first book, which was a game changer, right? Like yeah. Everything just comes out. I know the weight of the book. I know the size of the envelope. I know how much it's going to cost with sending things with media mail. Uh, so I sent out, I think like up, about a hundred within the first couple of days of receiving the book and then worked through the weekend and sent out um, all of the other copies. And yeah, so last week. Is there anything creative, I guess, just one one author talking to another, anything creative on a book launch strategy that you did? Anything like out of the box that you thought was cool? Or, or, or it worked. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I did. I don't think that I did anything too out of the box. I think the Kickstarter was really good because people could easily share it and it reached a wider audience, right? Like it's on the Kickstarter website. So if you're just marketing to friends and family, eventually your network's going to run out, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and you can't pester them every single day to be like, post this, share this. Can you send this, you know? So I think the Kickstarter platform gave me a wider reach, but anything that you can do with video, I think goes a long way, especially if your story uh, is based off of something that people will be drawn into emotionally. If it's something that you're doing for your own children, mm -hmm. if there's a backstory that you can share, I think anything that kind of tugs at the heartstrings or brings the severity of why you decided to write this children's book on top of all of your other responsibilities to life. I think that if you can highlight that in a video or with some sort of graphic uh, or, you know, put something to, to music, you know, everything, everything now is, you know, a five second video, right? Like yeah. all of our social media is like, pull me in immediately. If not, I'm going to keep scrolling. So um, if you can pull in a video, I think that's the, the best way to do that. Do you feel now let's go on the mental side of things for a minute. Do you feel oh, pressure now? You have two books published, like, all right, what's the third one gonna be? Or am I doing something different? Like, is there do you put more pressure on yourself? Like you gotta keep it going or oh you know? gosh. So I have one more idea in my head, and I don't I don't want to spill the beans just yet, but a lot of times I get asked, Am I going to introduce a male character? Mm. And I do have a son as well, and of course I want him to feel just as loved and as special as my daughter, because even when they were opening this last book, he kept saying, it's Aston, it's Aston, right? Because so many of the pages are based off of, off of my daughter. Yeah. And so I don't want him to grow up to be like, well, you made two books for Aston. What about me? <laughs> so I do feel like I need right. to, to tie in a male character at some point, but I'm also trying to be mindful of boundaries and not overloading myself. And okay, if I come out with another book, a year from now or two years from now, that's great. It doesn't have to be five months from now. It doesn't have to be next month. So I just want to give myself some room to breathe, to celebrate, to, you know, be excited about this, this new milestone, um, to get the book into the world. You know, that's obviously really important. So trying to take some of that pressure off. Mm -hmm. So for folks listening, and, and a lot of folks that do listen in are similar to you and I, where they're working a full-time job, and then they have a lot of these other fun <laughs> projects they've done, whether it's publishing books or podcasts or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, is there any encouragement to folks maybe listening in that haven't got to the point of launching anything? They have ideas. 
they've muddled around with them in their head. They've jotted them down. They've talked with friends, but they haven't actually took action. Anything you've learned in this entire process that's been valuable that you might want to share? Just do it. You know, are you going to regret not doing it a year from now, three years from now, six years from now? I think that just doing it, making the mistakes, going through the process, learning, it's been it's been something that I could like really sink my teeth into and be proud of. And it's something for me, right? That was that was big. I mean, I work full time, I'm a wife, I'm a mother. That takes up so much of my bandwidth. Um, but it's easy to lose yourself in all of that, right? And so this is this is kind of my thing, right? I'm, okay, so now I'm the author, I'm the children's book author. That's something that is for me. Uh, of course, it's for all of the children that will hopefully love and read my books for years to come. But this is really my project that I can be challenged with and work through and collaborate with other people and generate new ideas and I think that that's really valuable and it's that creative outlet that I think a lot of us are craving. So I would say just do it. Yeah. I mean, how important, um, and I think about this a lot because you're a parent as well is it, it doesn't have to be a book. This could be just want, you know, if someone wants to start a garden in their backyard. I don't know, like getting the kids involved and showing them like, you don't have to just do this and what society tells you, like you could create your own things. You can do what makes you happy and kind of lights you up. How important is that for you? It's so important. You know, everything that we do throughout the day, the kids see, right. Whether it's, it's cooking or baking or cleaning, if you can get your kids, kids involved, get them involved, right? Like my daughter last week, she wrote on the windowsill and she was practicing her letters, which I was, you know, I was like, okay, this is a great opportunity for me to tell you how proud I am of the hard work that you're putting in practicing your letters, but also we're not allowed to have pins in the room and we only write on paper. So, you know, tomorrow after school, we're going to clean this up together. And I sprayed the windowsill and I gave her her paper towels and she was the one cleaning up. And, mm. you know, now she knows that there are consequences and she can help clean and you know, the kids bring their plates to me when they're done with them and they clean up their blocks and their trucks and their toys. I mean, it's the same thing, right? Hey, mommy works this type of job. They just know that I'm on the computer, right? They yeah. see me on the computer. So right. that's that's my job. I'm on the computer. Uh, <laughs> but then when I can show them new illustrations coming in, right? And I can say, hey, what does this look like? Or they'll say, oh, that was me in the bathtub. You know, like mm -hmm. one time, one of the pages in the new book is the kids putting their their washcloth over their eyes for when we wash their hair. So water doesn't get in their eyes. And so I said, okay, I need everybody to put their washcloth over their eyes so I can send Miss Desiree a picture so she knows what to draw, right? And just involving them like that and then yeah. them seeing it kind of come to life, right? My daughter instantly, when she opened that page, she was like, it's me, it's me putting my washcloth over my eyes, right? So just being able to tie them in, in that, I think it is, it's just so special. It really is. Yeah. Include so, them in as much as you can. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. So what, uh, so you talked about, you may write books down the road, anything else you're excited to share anything else, maybe the next six months a year, you got under, <laughs> under the, the, the naughty girl publishing realm that you, uh, you know, the ultimate dream is to get picked up by a traditional publisher and then to be on the New York times bestselling list. So I'm just going to put that in the atmosphere and, and we'll see what happens. You always have to shoot high. Um, yeah. So that would be obviously a dream. I think too, part of that comes from, okay, if somebody picks it up, I have to do nothing. 
right? Like I don't have to ship out books anymore. I don't have to maintain a website. I don't have to, you know, worry about my expenses with when taxes come up for my LLC. And, you know, there's so much that goes into this. So just having that burden lifted, I think would be really incredible. Um, so yeah, maybe one more book for, for Naughty Girl um, that I have an idea for. And then I think, you know, you could make it into like a cute box set or something since I would have three books yeah. on, on a personal, professional side of things. I'm working through my green belt for Lean Six Sigma, uh, which nice. really is something that helps me in my day-to-day in the work that I do. And then um, I also just recently got a scholarship for the Leadership Consortium, which is a leadership development program started by Harvard Business School um, alumni. So really excited about that. That's about three months. So it'll take me through the summer. So that on top of shipping out books, you know, every night after work, after tucking in my kids, um, I think my plate is is pretty full. So We'll see what else happens in the next six months. <laughs> well, I'm excited for this. I'm glad. Thank you for uh, for slipping in the podcast on the. <laughs> thank you for having uh, with your me. busy yeah, busy schedule. So if if folks <laughs> wanted to say hello online by the books, where's the where's the best spot? Yeah, best spot is www.naughtygirlpublishing.com, and I'm really trying to be active every day on my Instagram, which is also Naughty Girl Publishing, K N O T T Y for Naughty. Jessica, this is an absolute blast. Thank you so much for joining and, uh, and sharing a little bit of your journey. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. It's been great. Hey, everyone. Just one more quick thing before you skip along in your day. You know, if you do enjoy this content or other things that I've put out or just enjoy learning more and trying to adapt your thinking uh, to become happier each and every day, there's a couple of things that you may benefit from. Um, if you go to my website, brianandreco.com forward slash subscribe, you can sign up for my newsletter that goes out once a week. And that's really a digest of a lot of information that I gather throughout the weeks, whether it's a new video that I think could be informative or a podcast that's been valuable to me, book that I might read, etc. Um, secondly, I blog three times a week, and these are more micro blogs, one to five minute reads, short digestible blogs that'll send right to your inbox on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. So check that out on my website, brianandreco.com forward slash subscribe if you think it's something you might enjoy. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. <music>